Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week. Good to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Available on the Supertalk Live app. That is free in the App Store, Google Play, etc. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online. You can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. What does that mean? Well, it means that if you've got land financing needs, then Mississippi Land Bank can help because they've been financing land for 100 years. Maybe you're a farmer and you've got equipment needs or you're going to buy a new piece of property that you're going to add to what you're already farming. Well, Mississippi Land Bank can help with that. Or maybe you're going to build a dream home on that perfect piece of land. A lot of... uh, a lot of opportunities for you to do that with Mississippi Land Bank. Again, online, you can find a branch location near you, or you can grab the phone number at mslandbank.com. What's up, Orky? Just currently trying to decipher what I guess we can call news. So I've been confused by this the second I saw it. By the way, you know, good to see you, good to talk to you, all that stuff. Um, this is college football silly season, right? I mean, that's what everybody calls it. There's a lot of information out there, and not a whole lot of it is accurate, truthfully. You've got agents at work pulling strings and all of that. The guy that reported that there was a big-time booster at Auburn trying their hardest to get Gus Miles on out, and by the way, that was, according to everybody else around, an accurate report. There was somebody trying to do that. They had leverage. They identified a candidate. Multiple somebodies. He is now saying that the situation at Auburn is top donors and university officials, this is Josh Moon is his name, are so unhappy with Gus Malzahn that they are seeking to undercut him by limiting his assistance contracts to a single year. That is currently, according to him, preventing Auburn from hiring Hugh Freeze as offensive coordinator. He continues to say that Freeze is reportedly seeking a multi-year deal and that Malzahn asked them to waive that clause or whatever in order to hire Freeze, and they said no. But I am so confused by that because if you are about to be the offensive coordinator at the Arizona Hotshots, how can you possibly try to leverage a two-year deal from Auburn? And two, that that goes completely against the Sports Illustrated reporting that this is round two of the SEC intervening and not allowing that such deal to happen. That's correct. So... I think the Arizona Hotshots deal, offensive coordinator in the AAF, is a complete non-starter. Hugh Freeze wants to be in college football. Exactly. That's my point. Is if, if that's your only option at the moment, how are you trying to leverage a two-year deal when if Auburn is calling you to come back to coach offense in the SEC, you're not, try, you're not leveraging two years there. You're taking the job. Well, I don't know. I mean, 
Hugh Freeze made a lot of money, and he does have the option of going and coaching in the AAF. I have no idea what that pays. And it appears as if he's going to have some options at smaller schools as well. His name's been linked to the Liberty job and others. And there are offensive coordinator spots that are open. Look, Nick Saban tried to hire Q Freeze a year ago before the SEC office shut right. that down. So, to the second point that you make, we'll see how serious the SEC is about that. If, if there legitimately was a, an interest by Tennessee in hiring Q Freeze, and the league office shut it down, then they've got to be consistent with that. You, you can't tell one school, no, you can't do that, and then allow Auburn or Alabama or whomever else to go and hire him. I mean, you, you would have a mutiny on your hands. Even if it wasn't public, behind closed doors, that would be a disaster. So this guy, Josh Moon, says Freeze is reportedly seeking a multi-year deal from future employers, which is not uncommon. I mean, that that's happening all over the place with coordinator jobs. I And I'm... I wouldn't doubt that maybe he's asking, but if that's the only thing stopping you from getting back in the SEC, then that that's where I'm hung up. Is if that's the only thing stopping him from getting the OC job at Auburn, then he's a fool, and I don't think that's what's happening here. But why would that make him a fool when he does have other options? Does he though? That's well, yeah, he's got question. a job. He has a job. I, ones that he actually wants. Yeah, but but I guess what I'm saying is you don't have to put yourself in a bad situation if you don't have to have a job today. Right? I mean, he's going to eventually get an opportunity. Th- these people that tried to run Gus Malzahn out this year, if the year doesn't go the way that they want it to next year, you think they'll stop before they get it done? Oh, no. I, I'm just... That's I'm just very confused, perplexed at this whole thing because you have so many ropes being pulled in so many directions. You've got tell me this uh, on a on a on a little bit different angle on this. Why would Hugh Freeze want to go be the offensive coordinator for Gus Malzahn? I have no idea because Gus is not going to let con- let go of control of the offense. You know who he would? said it, with limitations, but you know who would let him call the offense? Who's that? Jeremy Pruitt. Yes, but the report was the SEC said no on that. I mean, Nick Nick Saban lets his offensive coordinator, you know, yeah. if he's not named Lane Kiffin, kind of do his thing. And I'm sure taking Tua out in the red zone for his incapable backup will not be an issue this time around. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think that that would, be, uh, that would be the case. So we'll see where this goes. I mean, Hugh Freeze's name continues to pop up with lots of jobs. I, I had someone ask me, uh, that covers a school that's not in the SEC. Sent me a, a direct message on Twitter a couple of days and just said, what are your thoughts on Hugh becoming an assistant on someone's staff? Not that you can read his mind, but you know, you've been around him. And I said, I think he's got two options. I, I think there are two options for Hugh Freeze. One of those is to take a, take a head coaching job at a group of five school. And I think the other is to take an offensive coordinator job at a Power 5 school that is not in the SEC. I I just don't think this whole SEC thing is going to work out. I I still think the commissioner doesn't want him in the league based on the perception of 
what happened while he was at Ole Miss. Even though the investigation is now finally over and the penalties are in place and Ole Miss is moving forward, there's still a lot of mess that was left behind. Yeah, and that goes to my my third angle and thought on this thing is Jimmy Sexton is really good at his job. Well, yeah. But Jimmy Sexton's also smart, which is the reason that he told Hugh Freeze to walk away from the money at Ole Miss. Never for a second fought the $16 million for the $16 million or any percentage of the $16 million that was owed to him. I think the basic agreement, as I understand it, was uh, we're going to keep our mouths shut about Ole Miss from, from the Hugh Freeze camp, and Ole Miss needs to keep its mouth shut about Hugh Freeze. And you will save $16 million in the process. And that's the reason they parted the way they did. Interesting news last night that uh, came out uh, right after Sports Talk ended, and that is Kelly Bryant, the former Clemson quarterback who transferred and everybody had been waiting to his decision and apparently had it narrowed down to Auburn, Arkansas, Mississippi State was in the mix, and Missouri. And he chose to go to Missouri. that surprise you at all? No. Uh, you know, there was a lot of talk going into the season that Derek Dooley was going to ruin Drew Locke, but it, especially towards the end of the year, that offense was clicking pretty good. Yeah, it was good. And, I mean, they return most of their production offensively as far as guys around the quarterback go uh, coming back this year. So it makes a ton of sense for Kelly Bryant. And I think they're on just Ole Miss's schedule, not both, but, but on Ole Miss's schedule next year, right? I think so. Uh, I could be wrong. Missouri? I think yes. yes, I think they are. So uh, that's uh, that's unfortunate because I think he's going to fit in really well there and he's he's a talented capable quarterback. He's not the passer yep. that Drew Locke was, but he's got experience. Yeah, you think about Missouri. So under Gary Pinkle, really steady for a long period of time. They had the uh the run with Chase Daniel in the mid 2000s kind of sunk down a little bit, but then bounced back, got to back-to-back SEC championship games as the representative from from the East. Kind of fell back on hard times, looked like they were going to fire Barry Odom two years ago. And then they went on that run and won, what, six in a row, five in a row, something like that to, to finish out the season. Barry Odom obviously saves his job. There was talk again this year about the future of Barry Odom. Then they went to Florida and just beat the Gators down. And all of a sudden, he's pretty secure. And Missouri finishes, what, 8-4? and four? It's a good win for Missouri. Mm-hmm. they got a bunch of pieces coming back. I mean, that's a team that will likely win 8, 9, maybe even 10 football games next year. And now they've got a, they got a pretty good trigger man. It, makes sense. it never made sense to me at Arkansas why Kelly Bryant would go to Arkansas. Going to only be there for one year, still very much in a rebuilding mode. There's not a lot of rebuild going on at Missouri right now. Got a lot coming up with you this afternoon, just getting started on this Wednesday at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, you want to text the show, you can. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. C Spire. 
Customer inspired. You can also tweet the show at Sports Talk M I S S. Hey, Borky, how about some headlines? Yeah, and we'll start with something from NCAA President Mark Emmert. So he was speaking uh, somewhere today and had a couple of quotes about the investigation into college basketball. At first, on the surface, I thought, oh, this is some more spin zone from from him, and, and they're just going to protect the sport and protect their bottom line, but maybe not. So he said that the investigations are underway, that the NCAA investigators are using the information gathered by the FBI and investigating college basketball programs. He did, however, say that there will be nothing done, no notice of allegations, nothing before the conclusion of this basketball season. So if if you were expecting Kansas to go down before March Madness, that's not going to happen. College basketball, as you know it currently, is going to remain as you know it currently, at least until the end of this season. So I first thought they're just just kicking the can down the road, kicking the can down the road until all this goes away and we forget about it. But if you are investigating using the information gathered by the FBI, you cannot ignore it because it's hours and hundreds of hours of testimony and documents and fact-based evidence that is in the hands of NCAA investigators now. And according to him, they're using it and formulating a formal investigation. So now I don't know what to think about it. Yeah, I think Mark Emmert was visiting with uh, the folks from Sports Business Journal His quote where he says there are still ongoing trials, investigatory work being done by the U.S. Attorney's Office, and we have to be respectful of that. We don't want to inadvertently obstruct any of that justice process. We're moving forward as assertively as we can while still having to respect the process. Um, That strikes me as a little bit of window dressing. The NCAA is paid $770 million a year by CBS to have the rights for the NCAA basketball tournament. It is their cash cow. They're not going to disrupt the cash cow midseason. It's not going to happen. They're eventually going to penalize some people. How severe will those penalties be? I guess we'll wait and see on that. And doesn't it feel like Kansas is going to get some penalty from the NCAA? Arizona is going to get some penalty from the NCAA? Yeah, and as we talked about before, if they are not the strongest penalties in the history of the NCAA... They won't be. Which is sad, because they have, for the first time... I mean, they punish schools all the time using one person's uncorroborated testimony. I'm not even talking about the Ole Miss investigation. That is a practice that they have used... For decades, one person says something, they put it in violations, and then they punish the school based on that. And it can be inconsistent. It can change constantly. It did in the Southern Cal case in a lawsuit that the NCAA just survived. Inconsistent, uncorroborated testimony has been used by them for allegations for decades. And now they have formal documentation that shows six six figures of cash being exchanged for play which is the most egregious violations that uh, I'm talking from an NCAA violation standpoint, not a morality like Baylor or Penn State standpoint. This would be the most egregious they've ever caught, and they have the most evidence, fact-based evidence to use it. If it's not strict punishments, then the NCAA is a complete waste of time and energy. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I, I think that uh, I think penalties are coming. 
I'll be interested to see who ends up with those penalties. Um, yeah, look, I mean, look, look at pl- places that have had to suspend players. Auburn, Alabama had to suspend Colin Sexton. Are those schools going to get any penalties? Or have they kind of paid their price at this point? You, you look at Kansas, and it feels like an altogether different story. But look, Kansas just going on about business as normal. Number two team in the country. Already got a win in a neutral site against Tennessee. Loaded roster. They went again last night against a pretty good Wofford team. Kansas just going about its business, carrying on, carrying on, nothing to see here. Until they're told otherwise by the NCAA. Yeah, and vacated national championships, when you Google them, still show up that that team won the national championship. Yeah, you, so. you can still find a picture of a team holding up a trophy. No question about that. Uh, another news, what else? Alabama is yet again looking for a new offensive coordinator. Uh, Mike Loxley, who was the Broyles Award winner earlier uh, this week uh, as the top assistant in all of college football, which made people really mad at Brian Haydad, uh, has been hired as Maryland's next head coach. He's already been the head coach of Maryland in the interim period where he went 1-5. He was also the head coach at New Mexico where he went 2-26 and and was fired in the middle of his third season. However... As the second-year offensive coordinator at Alabama, everybody saw it that's listening. Uh, They were one of the most prolific offenses in school history and probably the most prolific offense in the country, uh, either them or Oklahoma. So dramatic – I wouldn't call it improvement because Alabama's always been winning, but the offense was really good under him, and now he gets his third shot as a head coach at Maryland. Yeah, and Mike Loxley hoping for different results because as a head coach, it hasn't been very good. At New Mexico, he went two and twenty-six. He fired in his third year. He was an interim head coach at Maryland and went went one and five. But this feels like a different scenario. You know, you're not at a place like New Mexico that's so hard. Although in the Big Ten, life's not easy, especially when you're Maryland. People are kind of picking apart this tweet from Bruce Feldman because of. Um, you know, Nick Saban's not necessarily the only guy that these people coached under. But you now have 10 former assistants for Nick Saban who've landed FBS head coaching jobs. Billy Napier, Lane Kiffin, Mario Cristobal, Jeremy Pruitt, Kirby Smart, Jim McElwain, Major Applewhite, Mike Loxley, and Jeff Collins. Now, obviously, Mel Tucker was most recently with Kirby Smart at Georgia, but again, that's kind of part of the Nick Saban tree. And the reason I say people are picking it apart is because, well, Cristobal had been a head coach before he worked under Saban, and Kiffin was a head coach before he worked at Alabama under Saban. But still, that kind of falls under the Nick Saban coaching tree. And it's an interesting bridge to the topic about Pete Golding, who still has not officially told Ole Miss no, that he will not be their defensive coordinator. Uh, Folks have been texting the show and tweeting the show asking, is there any update there? I mean, reports are that Mike McIntyre is going to be on the Ole Miss campus or at least will meet with Ole Miss tomorrow. As of right now, at least as best I've been able to gather, Pete Golding has not officially told Ole Miss, no, I'm not going to be your defensive coordinator. And until that happens, I think Ole Miss would absolutely do whatever they had to do to make him the D coordinator. But kind of dovetails with the Nick Saban story. You you spend a little bit of time on Nick Saban's staff, you're going to get a chance to be a head coach, especially when you're 34 
and you're running a really good defense. So what you're saying is putting one and two together, we will have confirmation one way or the other before McIntyre makes it to campus, if that's in in fact where he's headed tomorrow. I I mean, I tend to think that. We've kind of said end of the week all all week long, and I think Thursday would qualify as that. It's hard for me to believe that if Mike McIntyre makes it to the Ole Miss campus, that they're just going to talk about it and you know kind of feel each other out. It feels like if Mike McIntyre comes and sits down with Matt Luke or you know Matt Luke and Ross Bjork or whomever, then it's to try and get a deal done for him to be the defensive coordinator. I guess you give Pete Golding as much time as you can if you believe he's your number one target, and if you get to the point where you've got to make another decision, then you make another decision. So yeah, I mean, I'm very much reading between the lines there. But that says to me that, you know, you'll probably, I, I would imagine that the news would leak, even if it's not officially announced, that if Pete Golding is going to be the defensive coordinator, you feel like it would happen by sometime tomorrow, at least in principle. It's good to know that when all of this stuff breaks, I will be out. I love the timing of that. And, uh, and Man, fun- you're getting married. None of this stuff matters. <laughs> and none of it matters. I might not even bring my phone to the honeymoon. I might just leave it here uh, in Mississippi. And finally, the XFL that begins, I think, in January of 2020 released their eight cities uh, that will host teams, only one of which does not currently have an NFL team. Dallas, Houston, L.A., New York, Seattle, Tampa Bay, Washington, D.C., and St. Louis will be your eight host cities for the XFL. So really bigger cities for the most part than what the AAF went with. I mean, you got the AAF in Memphis and Birmingham and Tempe and and San Diego. So decent-sized cities. But bigger cities for the XFL, although it sure does feel like the XFL has been overshadowed because the AAF sped up the timeline on getting their product out there. We've got more with you coming up next. Those are your headlines. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Baby, please come home. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Good to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon. ESPN's done its full release of who all the uh, announcing teams are for the um, for the bowl season. And think about this uh, this week-long stretch for Chris Fowler. And you remember, as soon as the bowl season is over, Chris Fowler jumps on an airplane and flies to Australia to do the Australian Open. So it's kind of a busy stretch for him. So on Saturday night, December 29th, Chris Fowler, Kirk Kerbstreit, Laura Rutledge, and Maria Taylor on the Orange Bowl. So they're doing Alabama-Oklahoma. You'll have Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge, Tom Rinaldi, Holly Rowe on the Clemson-Notre Dame game. Then he'll turn around two days later on Tuesday, January 1st, and do the Rose Bowl. And then six days after that, Monday, January 7th, do the national championship game. I mean, that's like kind of uh, life goals, right? (laughs) Something like that. That's a pretty good run. College football playoff semifinal, and then the Rose Bowl, and then the national championship game. Not a bad eight- or nine-day stretch there for Chris Fowler before he heads to, uh, to Australia, where it'll be 100 degrees for the 
next two weeks after that. Is he the gold standard sports announcer? Uh, I think he's really talented, and I think he's very versatile. And I, I, I tell you, I think I think Fowler has gotten better and better and better as a football play-by-play announcer over the last three or four years. You know, he had done a lot of play-by-play, but had transitioned to where it was, you know, game day and tennis stuff, but really wanted to get back to doing big games, and ESPN made him his num- their number one guy a few years ago. I think he's pretty good, maybe even really good. Uh, you say gold standard. I would... Give me your, let's just go top five. I know it's subjective and hard, but... Television announcers, where if they're Across calling a game, sports. you like it. All sports, anybody out there doing it. Uh, I think, let me go no particular order. Because I, I think all these guys are really, really good. Dan Shulman, who does Major League Baseball and uh, college basketball, I think is fantastic. I think Mike Tirico is maybe the most versatile and well-rounded and most prepared guy in like the television play-by-play industry period. But look, I mean, the, the whole Al Michaels, Jim Nance, Joe Buck thing, I get that people don't like them sometimes, although I think everybody likes I think everybody likes Al Michaels, or almost everybody likes Al Michaels. Both Jim Nance and Joe Buck have their detractors, but Especially Joe Buck, so talented. It, it, it just it it comes easy to me. Joe Buck is an easy listen. So it's almost like you got to take those three guys and kind of set them aside. There's a reason that they lead a package on a major network that uses the NFL. So so for the purposes of this, can we just set them aside? Sure. And I don't understand okay. the Joe Buck detractors. I, he's excellent. You you may not like him personally. And I've listened to podcast interviews and stuff, and he seems kind of weird, but he's really good calling TV games. And it's almost like he never says too much. Yeah. I actually think Joe Buck is better than Jim Nance. I do, too. It's just me. I mean, you know, both have done multiple Super Bowls. Jim Nance is great on golf. Um, It's like Jim Nance is a little, and and he's re-energized a little bit the last couple of years with Tony Romo. He got really stale with uh, with Phil Sims as his, as his partner on football. Jim Nance is a little syrupy for me. Um, so I'd go Al Michaels, Joe Buck, kind of one one A there, and then Jim Nance is you know right there with them. Incredibly reliable. You're never worried about anything he's going to say. But as far as you know, like just the the regular day-to-day announcers that you see ESPN, ABC, CBS, Fox, etc. Um I I like Dan Schulman a ton. I think Chris Fowler's really really good. Uh I think Mike Tirico uh, again, I would say he can call absolutely anything. He's as comfortable doing soccer as he is doing Notre Dame football as he is doing the NFL as he is doing the NBA. Mike Breen is a guy that does a ton of NBA at the network level who is undervalued. How you say on Twitter, on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed, at Sports Talk M-I-S-S, you say, give me Gus Johnson. I don't love Gus Johnson all the time, but in small doses, I like Gus. He can sure make a moment feel big. Yeah, that's it. His ability to kind of rise and fall with the, the ebb and flow of the game, I think is good. And I don't think he yell. He has the reputation for just yelling. He doesn't do that the entire game. 
but he certainly rises to the big moments. Um, just got a text on the ceasefire text line. Joe Tessator is good. I think Tess is good. Um, he is I think severely... Tess is a little too big for me too often. Yeah, just a, a standard Monday night football game is not the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, good grief. I feel like I'm leaving leaving somebody out. Who, who am I leaving out, Borky? I think you pretty much nailed it. Brad Nessler's really good. Or I've always liked his voice. I've always... You know, it's, it's interesting. When I've broadcast games, it's like sometimes you hear a voice in your head and you're like, oh, I hope that's what I sound like. I kind of hear Brad Nessler's voice. I don't think my voice sounds like Brad Nessler's. I, please don't misconstrue what I'm saying there. But it's like so many big games that he did with college football through the years, uh, and especially they were, you know, the kind of the Saturday night primetime games. So it was a lot of SEC games and a lot of big SEC basketball games. Um, I, I kind of hear his voice. Dan in Charleston says that uh, the greatest that ever was was the late Keith Jackson. I don't disagree with that. Vern Lundquist calling golf was elite. I love him calling golf. There's a vote here for Musburger. Zach on uh, on Twitter says Dave Neal all day long. Hal says give me Gus Johnson. Marv Albert is one. By the way, interesting, uh, there's some discussion that Marv Albert may be getting a demotion. And um, that Brian Anderson, who has gotten a bigger role with Fox during the playoffs, could be sliding into that uh, that number one seat at uh, at TNT. I said with Fox, maybe he's maybe he's with TBS, so that kind of Turner umbrella. Anyway, Lucas said a couple of folks have mentioned Tim Brando. Really like listening to Tim Brando. I think Tim's good, and he's done a lot of big things. To me, Tim is best in the games where he stops talking so much. And, and I, I mean that like in a complimentary way. When when he live, when Tim Brando allows the game to kind of come to him, as opposed to just filling time, filling time, filling time with whatever's on his mind or whatever he has prepared. I think Brando's really good. His voice is really good. Um, there's a local guy not even being biased the guy that calls uh, Pelicans basketball for Joel Myers oh he's fantastic he's got the greatest voice ever I'm so jealous of him yeah I mean I met Joel in uh, I think he was doing a two-lane game maybe last year or or maybe he was in Memphis I I think it was I was doing a game that was Memphis and Tulane and he was in town because the Pelicans were playing the Grizzlies either the night before or the night after. And he came by and visited a little bit, Tulane's practice, visiting with their head coach, came by and stopped and talked to us a little. And he's one of those guys that he just opens his voice and uh, opens his mouth and you want to punch him. <laughs> it's, it's like so that rich, deep, big, great voice is just it. Yeah, Joel Myers. Really good. Really good. You want to be part of the show, you can text us, 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired. You can also tweet the show at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. 
Somebody was nice and said, you're leaving out Richard. When are you getting called up? Well, I guess it's kind of a work in progress. I've uh, had a really fun basketball schedule so far. I've done more games this year with basketball than uh, than I have to this point of the season, any year in the past, and I uh, got to do my first football game this year, so it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, there, uh, this is interesting, okay? Tell me what you think about this text, Borky. Come on, guys. Dick Vitale has got to be top five. I'd love to hear him call the national championship football game. Okay, let's not go that far. So here's what I would say about Dick Vitale. I don't think he is a top five college basketball analyst. But I think Dick Vitale has done more for college basketball than any other broadcaster ever. Would you agree with that, Borky? You need to think on that a little. I would agree on the surface, yeah. The the amount... Uh, you talk about feeling like it's a big game? With Gus Johnson, if Dick Vitale is in your arena, it feels like a big game. He's been the greatest promoter of college basketball that has ever lived. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Yes, it is. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Right now, on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Russ Mitchell, back after a week off. Hello, my friend. Again, it look a lot like Christmas. It is. You got big Christmas plans? Uh, yes. All right, Borky, we got to try again. I, I don't know. Russ says that this is the only radio show that he does where he has phone issues. I don't know how that's possible. I don't understand it. We'll try again with Russ. He was going to tell us what his plans were for Christmas, and he said, my wife, and I don't know where he was going with that. So we'll try again with Russ. We'll see if it works out. Interested to get his uh, his thoughts on the SEC championship game. We got a uh, a text a moment ago on the C Spire text line asking if the SEC championship game lived up to the hype. So I don't know what you were saying your Christmas plans were, your wife and something else, but that doesn't matter. Hope you have a Merry well, Christmas, Russ. Let's, let's, let's just talk football. Let's do that. SEC championship game. I, I had a guy just a few minutes ago ask me if I thought that the SEC championship game lived up to the hype as one of the best ever like we anticipated. My answer is yes. I started going in 2007. To me, the only game that compares to this year's was 2012 Alabama-Georgia. What did you think? Well, actually, it's interesting. I don't think, first of all, that there was a lot of hype going into this, that it would be one of the best ever. You know, the spread was two touchdowns heading into this game. Um, I, I thought it was a really compelling game to watch, clearly. Uh, um, all the more so when uh, Jim comes in and that storyline. Uh, you know, to me, when you take the starting quarterback off a team on the second play of the game, which is, you know, what happened, you could see, you know, 
could see Jalen was clearly favoring his left ankle, uh, which is the one he's uh, had the surgery on after the second play of the game. And, you know, if you take the star player, the Heisman quality player off a, off a team's offense, you know, they're going to struggle. Uh, I was, and then Georgia, I was really impressed with Georgia. I was impressed that they pounced on that. I was impressed how they did on third downs. I was impressed that their offensive line managed to uh, really dominate a defensive line that has had its way through much of the second half of the season. I just want to say this is why it, the SEC was great during the golden age was because every week out you got a team that played you like this. So you, you had to get tough and the metal was forged in the hottest fires. This is so good for Alabama to have this happen to them before they go into the playoffs. It's made Alabama a much better team as long as Tua comes back healthy. Yeah, I agree with you there. I'm curious which you think was bigger in the outcome of the game. The ridiculous fake punt call, or Jalen Hurts coming into the game. Because I I said earlier this week, we we were kind of breaking down the game on Monday, and I said that I don't think Alabama wins that game if Tua Tangovaloa doesn't have to leave the game. Well, first of all, I I agree with you, but that's that's a guess. One thing that's not a guess, there's Jalen, the way Jalen plays, there's no way he's leading them all the way down the field and scoring a touchdown. You know, uh, late in that game, if, if Kirby punts. So that goes to overtime, and the question is, does Jalen win the game in overtime? Maybe he does. But to me, that, that fake punt will, will haunt Kirby's mind for the rest of the night. Yeah, I would agree with that. I guess my thought on the reason that Alabama won because of Jalen Hurts coming in was Tua just didn't have the ability to get away from the pass rush. Yeah, he, he was favoring that leg, ankle, knee, whatever it was, really for a lot of the game. And Jalen Hurts made plays outside the pocket, which Georgia wasn't able to do for much of the game. We lost him. Okay. I don't know if everybody agrees with that, that statement or not. But kind of watching the way that it unfolded, Georgia was able to consistently put pressure on Tua. He wasn't able to outrun Georgia's defenders. And when you got a healthy Jalen Hurts in the ballgame, you saw him make plays outside of the pocket. And I'm not just talking about the the touchdown play, where where he ran it in for the go-ahead touchdown. I'm talking about his ability to elude the pass pass rush, run away from a defender, keep his eyes down the field, and get the ball to an Alabama receiver. And he did that two or three times in those two drives that ultimately decided the ball game. It's really impressive. And the story as a whole just couldn't be any better. I know we talked about this on Monday, but think about the circumstances. Jalen Hurts plays in the national championship game a year ago, loses his job, Tua Tonga-Vailoa comes in and is the savior, wins the starting job, and then Russ, it comes full circle you're back in the exact same venue. Tua Tonga-Vailoa has to come out of the game because he's injured, and Jalen Hurts gets to come in and be the hero. What a what a cool story. 
a great story. <laughs> it's like if they made a movie about that in Hollywood, you wouldn't believe it, man. Literally, You'd be walking out of the movie theater. All of you are shaking your heads right now. You'd be walking out of the movie theater going, yeah, you know, that was pretty good. But, I mean, that's not real. That doesn't happen in real life. And yet it happened. And yet it happened. So to to Tonga Bailoa, one of the three Heisman Trophy finalists, you're a Heisman voter. I know you can't give your vote away. I will ask you this, though. Is there anything that happened on Championship Saturday that caused you to rethink either who your number one was or maybe the order of your top three? No. Uh, you know, and it's interesting because there's a lot of uh, voters who don't think that the championship game should count because not everybody gets to play in a championship game. And in fact, the gentleman who got, the young man who got my second vote did not play in a championship game. So, uh, I did not go quarterback, quarterback. And no, what happened on Saturday did not impact my folks. What would it take for, are, are you one of those people that thinks you just, you, you set the championship game performances aside because that's not equal for everybody and you only look at the regular season body of the work? Or can you be persuaded by excellent play or exceptional play on a big stage like that? I mean, I like to tell myself that I won't get swayed by that because it's not equal. You know, it's not that you're not playing the same number of games, and you know. But I, I mean, obviously, you get you get wooed by it. You know, you get wooed by uh, you get wooed by Ohio State a couple years back when they dismantled Wisconsin, right? In the uh, in their conference championship game, that wasn't a Heisman sure. thing, but. You know, you, it's hard not to get wooed. Look, I thought Kyler Murray had a good game on on Sunday, but I didn't think it was, you know, as great as a lot of the other performances he's he's had throughout the year. And if you were a Tua, you know, if you're looking to Tua got hurt on the second play of the game, <laughs> so you know, I mean, and then could it was so hurt that when he got banged up the second time, he couldn't even finish. So it's yeah. kind of hard to take that as a. I mean, if you were leaning to Tua before that, are you not going to give it to him now because he got hurt during the game? So you said you did not go quarterback, quarterback. You've got three quarterback finalists that are going to New York. You didn't go defensive yeah. player for number two, did you? Um, or can I, you say that? I, well, I, I can because I'm just not allowed to say who I specifically voted for. Okay. I can I, I can say that uh, there is not a defensive player in the group that I pick. Uh, I, I you know I, I rue the fact that this has become a quarterbacks award, you know. And I, I, I like the, uh, a few years ago, even though I picked uh, Lamar Jackson in August and was the only person in the whole uh, Think Heisman pool to pick him, I actually didn't vote for him. I gave it to Dante Foreman from uh, Texas. Because he ran for 2,000 yards and, and kept Texas alive in a year in a Power 5 conference where they struggled. Uh, I wish that they gave running backs a little bit more weight nowadays, but in the past happy world of football that we live in, it seems to be quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Yeah. Hey, 20 seconds, and we'll expound on this next week if we can. Did the playoff committee get it right, or should Georgia have been in? I can't answer it in 20 seconds. Okay. Can I hold it for next week? So, so, so I say no. 
Okay. We'll, we'll hold on. We'll hold on, and we'll go into detail on that next week. Thanks, All Russ. Right, brother. Russ Mitchell from College Football News. You can follow him on Twitter at Russ Mitchell CFB. His phone hadn't crapped out twice. We could have gotten to that question there. Thanks to Russ on the Farm Bureau phone line. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and uh, others coming soon. Like right now, Brian Haydad joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Hope his connection's better than Russ's was. Jeez. I think he's in the studio. We'll be fine. Hey, Dad, what's up? What's going on, Richard? My connection, as always, fantastic. Rock solid. Yes, sir. Glad for that. Hey, some hoops last night. McNeese yeah. State Cowboys kind of hung around for a little while, and then uh, Mississippi State blew it open in the second half. Yeah, McNeese shot, I think, 65%. They got up to 67%. In the uh, opening minutes of the second half, I mean they were they were filling it up, and in, and in close, that's the most. If you want to find a concerning thing, they, I think at one point it was twenty eight eight points in the paint in favor of McNeese, but like you said, State found its uh, its stroke, and, and McNeese invariably cooled off in the second half. It was it was three point shooting that helped Mississippi State. They were fourteen of thirty one, and of course that's led by Lamar Peters, who was eight of thirteen. That ties a school record uh, for three pointers made in a game, career high for him of twenty seven points. Uh, he, was, he was he shot. You go ahead. No, I was just saying twenty-seven points, five assists, three rebounds, yeah. one Good steal, and had three turnovers. Yeah, it's a, in, in twenty-nine minutes. That's a really productive stat line for him. Yeah, and then you have you know two, your two power forwards, you know the starter and the reserve, Eric Holman and Reggie Perry, both getting close to a double double. Uh, Holman had eight points and eleven boards. Reggie Perry, who just is continues to impress me every time I get a chance to watch him. 15 mm-hmm. points and nine rebounds. He, he in 18 can tell minutes for a freshman. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. In for 18 freshman, minutes, he has high. He has high basketball IQ, Richard. Yeah, there's a, there was a sequence where he gets a rebound and it's all one fluid motion. He never the ball never comes down, which is something that man, if I could ever be a basketball coach, I would preach more than anything. When you get a rebound, don't when the ball goes in the post, don't bring the ball down. Never went down. Straight back up. Straight to the rim. In for a bucket. He's just, he's just he and Woodard both don't play like freshmen. Now, I know it's early in the season, long way to go, and you know that they're going to hit that wall eventually. But right now, those guys are playing at a high level, and that's what's given State a little bit of a spark off the bench that they haven't had in, in recent years. I was kind of following along on Twitter as the game was going. Tyson Carter got off to a, a really hot start, didn't he? Then finished with ten yeah. points. Yeah, and that was mostly in the first half. He came in off the bench uh, when State was sort of, you know. It, the game was sort of muddy early for Mississippi State, which we talked about on yesterday's show. They've they've just been a slow starter this year. But Carter came in and gave them some offense and had stayed out to a, to an early four- or five-point lead that McNeese was able to chip away at and eventually get the lead themselves uh, in the first half. But Carter, you know, he provided a little spark early in the game. I think Perry provided the spark off the bench later in the game. And like you said, with uh, Lamar Peters just sort of carrying it the whole way. Peters is one of those shooters, and you've seen him enough to know this, that he's going to miss – He's going to miss some shots, but man, when he is on, that ball's going. That ball's going in the net when it leaves his hand. It, it just is, and he's going to have some nights like this every now and then. And State can ride those kind of performances to wins. Um, McNeese led the game at halftime, so it was a three-point lead at halftime. Mississippi mm-hmm. State outscores them by sixteen in the second half, wins at ninety to seventy-seven. We threw out the twenty-nine point line yesterday. Hope uh, mm-hmm. fewer. For entertainment purposes only, you went the uh, went the other way on that. Uh, 
would not be <laughs> yeah. a good time getting close to Christmas to uh, to lose that. Yeah, you uh, don't you don't want to give it away now. Yeah, no, you don't. No, that. no, not this time of year. So to to me, it's all about getting through last night. Finals going on this week. Is that correct? Yeah, wrapping yeah. up this week. Finals, finals will start up. Well, no, they'll start this week. Uh, last night was sort of a a study night on campus, if you if you will. Is that why the crowd was what it was? That's why the student crowd was a little was a little less. You know, I can't speak to the uh, the alumni crowd. That's just been a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's not even all season long. It's it's, it's been a five or six oh, year a, problem. It, it is, and you know, everybody to to a certain extent is dealing with crowd issues maybe everybody not named auburn they they seem to have kind of come up with the magic formula to get people there and especially get students there but isn't there a tipping point somewhere uh, uh, so so if you go to the end of the rick stansberry era when the crowd mm-hmm. started falling off a little you yeah. can go okay people were ready for a change and then the rick ray deal was a disaster and yeah. you kind of get why people aren't showing up and year one, year two have been howling. Nah. Oh, okay, they were they were in the building mode. It right. was still pretty bad a lot of the time. I get it. Last year, but certainly this year, and and it feels like what people always said was, well, I'm just not going to go watch that. But once right. you get out of the habit of going to games, it's real easy to not go, as opposed mm-hmm. to jump in the car and go. Mm-hmm. Does this change at some point this season? Well, I think we'll find out next Saturday, right? When, when if, if state, can, let's say state beats Clemson, uh, December the eighth again up there in in, New York, in Newark, uh, and they come back home to the game on the fifteenth against Cincinnati. That's a big game, quality quality non conference opponent. Uh, you know, that's that's the kind of game that's going to be you know a national game. People are going to be paying attention to that. If, if you don't have a big crowd for that, I just don't know, man. I don't I don't know when they're going to come back. The, the other thing that's gotten state's basketball attendance to me. Is you know imagine if you went to the same restaurant year after year they were great you liked going there and then it just fell off it wasn't good anymore and another restaurant opens up and they're great so you start going there you start hearing from people hey that other restaurant's back now they're they're doing okay now do you do you just go back no and what that is is women's basketball for Mississippi State that has taken a lot of people's basketball attention and that's where you know not you're not going to come up twice in a week and state has a home game on Thursday against Marquette and if you know that that game will have 7 or 8,000 people at it no question in my mind that game will be packed and that's where a lot of people's basketball dollars are going these days and it's going to take it's going to take a lot of winning to to change it back it just is you know people have been you know, they've just been put off by Mississippi State basketball because it's been down for so long now they've they've done a good job of getting back and i, I think they're back i think they're going to be a tournament team this year but people are going to want to see, you know, a lot of results before they just start, you know, making that two-hour trip after work on a, on a Tuesday to Starkville to uh, to get to the game, especially when they're they're probably planning to come on Thursday to watch the women. It is the crowd for Mississippi State women's games a local crowd, or do you have people coming from all over? I mean, do you have people coming from Jackson and Tupelo and? Uh, you know, wherever else that's an hour and a half away where Mississippi State fans live. I think it, it's it's a little bit more statewide, uh, but at the same time, it's an older crowd, too. And that's part – Vic Schaefer has built this army of older Mississippi State fans, and they follow – that's why when State goes on the road, there's a couple 
there's at least a thousand state fans that usually on road games that they're going to right now. So for the for the women's games, for the women, for the women. So you know, but I think you know it's local. You've got a lot more student support for the girls right now because not only are they winning, they're dominant. They're elite. They're one of the top programs in the country, and so that's just going to naturally get support. So I think it's a good. I think it's a, a little bit more statewide, but there's obviously a, a big local presence, and and there's enough local MSU presence between the students and the people in the Golden Triangle, and even Tupelo. That on a weeknight you should be able to get five thousand at least. You, know, you should be, ha- be able to half fill the hump, and you know for some games, you know maybe you get six, seven thousand. That that's what's yeah. not happening right now, and that's where that's where the disconnect is. That's what Mississippi State has to figure out. The team is good, the results are good. I, like I said, I think this is going to end up being a tournament team, and then they have the potential to make a, a run to the second weekend of the tournament. But I think I, I understand why MSU fans are, are sort of staying away. You know, maybe maybe when conference play starts up, you know that first the first home game of the conference play is a Saturday game against Ole Miss. But you got to think that's going to be a big crowd, especially if State's record is what you think it's going. Yeah, to be. it'll be full for that. Let's not kid. You would think so. So I think that'll be it. And then I think there just needs to find a tipping point, Richard. I think there's if if one game fills up and State plays well and you win that game, that'll be okay. I, I should I should start maybe making this more of a priority, but. Right now, I think it's sort of, well, they're not coming, so I'm not coming kind of thing. Yeah. But once you get everybody back into the hump, and hopefully that'll be, you know, like I said, next Saturday with that Cincinnati game, maybe that can be a tipping point. And I think it could be. So a text message to the C Spire text line says the reseeding killed the old local crowd at the hump. You'll have to help me on that. Yeah. Gosh, it's been a while now at some point, but... Basically, you had sort of a sort of a similar situation to what you had at Duty Noble, where you just had you know older ticket holders who had had their tickets forever, and then they decided to reseat them based on Bulldog Club, club priority, not by how many years you'd had basketball season tickets. Correct. And in doing so, a lot of, it put out a lot of of the older boosters, and they just looked, you know, and a lot of those guys were really tight with Stansberry and the way that you know his departure went and was handled they did they didn't like it and then you know you have three years of rick ray who i liked rick ray don't get me wrong great interview but man was he in over his head here at mississippi State. super nice guy yeah but he just he just couldn't yeah. win super nice and that, guy. that hurt it and then philip steven real quick says tv i mean 10 years ago not every game was available to you on tv now every game is you know yeah that to me feels like an excuse versus a reason. It could be, but it's like you can say, ah, you know what, I'm not going to go because I can watch all of them on TV. Well, would you really have gone to watch the McNeese State game? That, I mean, that if it hadn't been on TV, I don't know. Sports Talk Mississippi. We got more coming up with you and Hey Dad in the Renaissance Bank Studio next. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad on the Farm Bureau phone line, Michael Borky in the studio. Kelly Bryant's going to Missouri. That surprised you last night? No, not really. Uh, I, knew, I, I felt confident he wasn't coming to Mississippi State, and I felt confident he wasn't going to Arkansas. So I was sort of 50-50 with Mizzou and Auburn, uh, and I thought, you know, even though a lot of people over on the Auburn side of things said that there was no connection between that and the Stidham announcement, I can't help but think Auburn sort of put that out there yesterday just to make sure Kelly Bryant knew that he was he would have been the guy had he chosen Auburn. But that's a good situation up there with with Drew Locke leaving. Uh, it's a pass-happy offense, and, and I think he'll do well. 
Uh, so, you know, like I said, I, I, I never really – you can never really get a feel for that guy. And even talking to the recruiting people around Mississippi State, guys like Paul Jones, n- none of them, none of them felt – they felt conf- none of them felt confident about him coming to Mississippi State, but none of them felt confident about anything. I think that kid just sort of. I think he did a good job handling his recruiting process. He he kept to himself. He, he told people sort of what they wanted to hear, and he knew what he wanted to do, and he did it. So good luck to him. I I never bought into the idea of Arkansas. It it just didn't make sense well, yeah, to yeah, me yeah. that that with the options that Kelly Bryant had that he would go to a place where they went 0 and 8 in the SEC this year and what were they 2 and 10 or 3 and 9 2 overall? and 10 2 and 10 2 and 10 yeah and yeah that they probably will take a step forward this year but what does a step look like? i mean a, a four win improvement over this season they're 6 and 6 and headed to the liberty bowl next year and, and like i like kelly bryant and i think he's a, a player who can help you but I mean, at, at best, he was helping Arkansas from two and ten to four and eight, five and seven. I don't, I don't even know that they're a bowl team next year, no yeah. matter what happens. They got a long way to go. Um, so I think he made. You know, I think Mizzou and 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 Mississippi State would have been his best choices in terms of stability, uh, because with Auburn, you know, Malzahn's going to sort of. <laughs> I mean, he's on the hot seat, no question about that. And and there, there's a lot of pressure there. I think. I think. I think. He, he for stability, it would have been Mississippi State or Missouri, and Missouri was probably the. the uh, the better call, I think. Yeah, and I mean, th- there were questions about Derek Dooley handling Drew Locke this year. Those questions turned out not to answered. be an issue at all. Yeah, they they yeah. were answered and in a big way. Yeah. Um, Drew Locke puts up big numbers this year, and, and it's a good Missouri team. And it's a Missouri team, I mean, you can look at a couple of games and go, especially the game against Kentucky. Yeah. You go, that's easily a nine-win team. They would have been in the Citrus Bowl instead of uh, instead of Kentucky. But there was another game that Missouri played in that was oh the the South Carolina game in the crazy rainstorm in the monsoon yeah if that game's played in bright sunny weather and Drew Locke can throw the ball like he wants to they probably win that game pretty easily yeah and and in that scenario they're ten and two yeah and they got a bunch coming back on both sides of the ball next year I mean Missouri is certainly not going to be the favorite to end the win the East that nobody not named Georgia is going to be the favorite to win the East for a while. Right. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if Missouri finished second in the East next year. Yeah, between them and uh and Florida, that seems about that seems to be to be the right pick. Yeah. So. So, uh, interesting. And the best thing for Mississippi State is if if you if you if you liked Kelly Bryant, you thought, "Hey, he's a good player." Well, you're not going to see him next year. He's going to be at Missouri State doesn't play Missouri next year. So. Yeah. Uh Ole Miss, we'll see him next year. There you go. Rebels have got Missouri on the uh, on the schedule next year. Um so, with Kelly Bryant not coming to Mississippi State, full steam ahead with Keaton Thompson, or is there something else at quarterback? Well, that's the thing to watch, isn't it, over the next few weeks? Uh, does State go for another grad transfer, uh, if anybody pops out there? Do they make a move for Jalen Hurts? I don't think that they would, but you know that's, that's a name to watch. I don't know who else is going to pop out there on the grad transfer market, on the, the free agent market, so to speak. I think if you don't see any state pursue anybody else, then maybe they just felt Kelly Bryant was was a unique possibility. You know, a guy who played in the playoffs and he he came from an offense you felt maybe was similar enough that there wouldn't be an adjustment period. Uh, but since that doesn't pan out, maybe you just want to go ahead and move forward with Keaton Thompson and, and and you know Jalen Maiden and then Garrett Schrader when he gets here in in, in December. Um, so that, that's something to watch. You know, does state pursue anybody else? Do they go after a junior college kid? You know, later in the process. 
If they do that, if they if they if they pursue another quarterback, I have to assume it's because they're just not ready to hand the reins over to Keaton Thompson. If they don't, then obviously Keaton Thompson will go into the spring as the you know predicted starter, and then they'll have the competition and see where it happens. And I, w- I would expect Keaton Thompson to win the competition and be MSU's starting quarterback uh, when we get when the state goes down to uh, Louisiana or goes down to New Orleans to play Louisiana Lafayette at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and and hey, Dad. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You, you want to bring a quarterback in in every signing class because you yes. want to continue to make depth or continue to add depth. But when you start getting into the grad transfer market or the junior college market at that position, it says to me that you're not 100% sold on the next guy that you've got on your roster currently. Right. Am I looking yeah. at that wrong? No, that's how I took the that's how I took the Kelly Bryant recruitment was that they weren't a hundred percent sold on Keaton Thompson. Why why else would you go after him? You know, I mean he's a good player, but why bring him in and, and then tell him you're certainly not going to tell him, well, Keaton's our guy, you're going to be our backup because he's not going to fall for that recruiting spill. He wants to go somewhere and be the starter. So I think that I think that's sort of evident. But like I said, I don't know if they just viewed Bryant as, hey, this is a rare opportunity and we should at least get in on it. You know, would they view another kind of quarterback that way? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to find that out. I, I like Keaton Thompson. The talent is obviously there. He Now, like, you know, him and Fitzgerald and Jalen Maiden was recruit, recruited to run Mullen's system. Um, but I, I have to think that after two springs, you know, two fall camps, that, that he's going to be able, he's going to be far enough along to be able to run this offense. I, I, like I said, I know the talent's there, and I know the ability to run the football is there. That's not in any kind of question. He's a fantastic runner. He's just got to be a more consistent passer. And so I, that's what you know, we're going to have to look at you know, in the spring and, and going into fall practices. How has he looked throwing the football? I, I would be honest with you. When you talk about you know possibly another grad transfer, I think Moorhead would be willing to take an average to below average runner if he could just get a better passer. He would be willing to put the run. I, I really do believe this. Even after all the the the, the comments we made about not he giving the wants ball to, to Neil throw Harris the football Williams. so badly, doesn't he? Exactly. He wants to throw the football. So I think he would be willing to say, "Look, I can take the quarterback run down to four or five times a game and let Kylan Hill and Nick Gibson run that in 2019." If I can get somebody who I can trust in the passing game, I really think Moorhead would do that if he if there's a transfer available. But that said, unless somebody, another name pops up in the next week or two, I think it's going to be Keaton Thompson's job to lose in the spring. Will he be able to do that with Keaton Thompson? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Keaton's one start this year, he was 13 of 31 against an FCS school. But like I said, you know, he's now, that was in that was the first week of the season. So we've gone through this whole season. You have the bowl practices coming up. You have spring practice coming up. You have the whole off season. You have fall camp. If in that amount of time Keaton Thompson can't become the passer you want, well, I don't know what you do at that point. Maybe you just turn it over. You know, you just you just do the best you can and rely on the running game and on your defense the way you did this year. Maybe you know just a little, little a little differently. Maybe a little bit more heavy with the running backs with with Kylan Hill and then Nick Gibson. And, We'll see what this, this true freshman does, Lee Weatherspoon, who looks like he's a big play guy. I don't know how much he's going to play next year, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's 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 the only. I mean, what else can you do? You can't make a trade. So I mean, you got to find you got to find a way to make Keaton Thompson work if you can't find another quarterback on the grad transfer market. We got a message earlier today on the uh, on, on the Twitter feed, Sports Talk M I S S. It said it was from Miles, and he said on the Auburn stuff. 
I hope Gus hasn't signed that reduced buyout yet. And I don't know exactly what Miles meant. He sent that when we were talking about Hugh Freeze as offensive coordinator at Auburn, but sounds like Auburn is not going to come off the whole not adjusting the money for assistant coaches and they're only going to let somebody sign to a one-year deal. But I wonder if Miles was saying, I hope you didn't sign that contract yet because if you've already signed and agreed to a reduced buyout, hope you read the fine print because we might just fire you now for less money. Possibly. Possibly. I mean, that situation is so bad. First off, you you had the university and, and some donors ready to buy you out. I mean, that tells you they don't want you there. Now sure. you've lost Stidham, and you didn't get Kelly Bryant, so you're you're going to rely on some an inexperienced quarterback in a hot seat year. That's never good. They lose some big pieces on that defense. They aren't really – I mean, you look at their recruiting class, it's pretty good, but there's not a true – difference maker in there at the running back or at the the wide receiver position so I mean, it's it's already tough at auburn man it's it's not easy to win there and like you know like i've always said about while's on yeah i think he just sort of is what he is in terms of his record you know i think the the first year of gus malzahn was the outlier that's not that's not him him gonna be him year in and year out he's gonna be a three four five loss coach so yeah Malzahn, I, I would have just taken my $30 million and headed to the beach and come back in a couple of years somewhere else. That's just me, though. Yeah. No, I, I don't really disagree with that. I saw some really nice boats in the Bahamas, and oh, yeah. you would think that they would be like, oh, my goodness, that's a 165-foot yacht. That's $100 million. No, you buy a 150-foot yacht for about $10 million. I mean, not that that's chump change, but you could go live on a boat. Like a really nice boat for a year. Then go back and make five, six, seven million a year. Again, replenish the coffers. Just thinking out loud here. So, we got more coming up. It's uh, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, five o'clock hour. Good to have you along. You've made it. Past the halfway point of the work week. Congratulations. Weekend just around the corner. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio. Brian Scott Rippey in studio with me. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Have you decided that you are ready to not have to seek permission to hunt on somebody else's property? Or you're tired of flushing money down the uh, down the drain as part of a lease on a monthly or annual basis, and you're just ready to have your own place to hunt, your own place to fish, your own place where you can put a barn, you can build a cabin, you can put a shop out there. You don't have to share your tools with anybody. Nobody else is trying to find the key to your tractor to go work on food plots. Not that all experiences are bad with a hunting lease, but you're just ready for your own. Mississippi Land Bank can help with that. They've been financing land for 100 years. For a century, they've been financing land. They know what's going on. They also sometimes have a little information on land that might be coming available. So if you're not sure exactly where you want to buy, well, they might be able to help with that. How do you start the process? Well, you go to the website, mslandbank.com. If you're in North Mississippi, it's pretty easy. They can help loan money for you to buy land. You can find one of their branch locations that's scattered all over North Mississippi. 
at the website. You can also grab a phone number to give them a call. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Uh, let's see, JT tomorrow will be in downtown Laurel on Central Avenue. The JT Show and Good Things with Rebecca Turner both will be in Laurel to promote the Jones County Christmas Celebration. It's all brought to you by the Jones County Supervisors, the City of Laurel, Pearl River Resort, Spartan Mosquito, and Southern Eye Center. All right, how about a little college football fix? One second, I'm I'm laughing at here, Richard, because... What did I say? No, nothing you said. Nothing you did. Oh. Um, An article that just went out via Supertalk, you know, our our whole parent network has its own website and Twitter page. Sure. And it's, viral message hopes to get you to pay attention on the roads this holiday season. And over the highway, I guess, maybe it's more than just Jackson, but the picture is of one that is over the highway, uh, right by Lakeland Drive in Jackson. It says, Cousin Eddie says, Twitter's full, put down the phone. But the thing is, it all went viral because people were driving and taking pictures of it. So the billboard is apparently not working very well. Yeah, uh, it's one of those (laughs) digital billboards. It's great. It really is. Cousin Eddie says, Twitter's full. Put down the phone. As everybody takes pictures of the funny sign. Yeah. 2018. Be careful while you're taking a picture. Hey, Rippy, what's up? Oh, come on, man. You you ought to know by now how to turn your own microphone on. It's almost your tradition at this point. Jeez. Um, Normally it would be my fault if we were somewhere where it's all right there in front of me. Here you ought to be able to turn it on. You should have seen the circus slash ordeal of me and Borky trying to get the mics working the week you were gone. It was pretty sad. On my part, that is. You know, Borky's trying to help me turn it on 200 miles away. Yeah. You know, Borky, if he had ever paid attention but other than just sitting down when he walked into the studio, it's really not that difficult. Not or, or that just difficult. one time and like, hey, Richard, will you show me how to do this? Yeah, you'd, you'd think. Those dang right. millennials, man, just expect everything to be spoon-fed to them. <laughs> Jeez. How about a little college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers? You're in sales event. I mean, it's great deals. On oh I don't know the F one fifty, the Explorer, the Expedition, maybe the Ford Fusion. Great deals on all of those. All you got to do is visit your local Mississippi Ford dealer. If you go to the website buyfordnow.com, you will find some of those great deals, like up to ten thousand dollars off sticker price. Yeah, that piqued your interest just a little bit. Stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Talk to them about what they've got going on today through the end of the year. The year-end sales event. Best deals of the season. Kirk Herbstreet was on with uh, Paul Feinbaum yesterday. And he said something that has kind of made the rounds. I'm interested to hear if you guys agree with what he said. If you have a strong feeling about what he said. I I will say this. I applaud Kirk Herbstreet for not backing down from his initial position. He said on Saturday night after the game and in the postgame show on the uh, the Clemson-Pittsburgh game when they you know, went to the studio and then tossed it back to Clemson for some postgame wrap-up and some college football playoff thoughts, he and Chris Fowler kind of went at it a little bit. And I thought Kirk Herbstreet made a very forceful case for... 
why he thought Georgia, despite losing, should have been the fourth team in the college football playoff. In fact, he had Georgia at number three. So here was his quote yesterday on Feinbaum. He says, you know what I'm loyal to? College football. I want to see the four best teams get their chance because that's what's right and that's what's fair. Politics, for the first time in five years, got the best of the committee. That's a strong statement from a guy who is widely regarded as the leading voice in college football. Maybe we should start there. Is Kirk Herbstreet the most listened to and the most respected voice in college football? From an analyst standpoint and not like a coach, yes, I think so. Yeah, I mean, in the media. Uh, yeah, I mean, who would be better or or more respected? I, I don't. I wouldn't think anybody. And there are people rolling their eyes because they don't like Kirk Herbstreit. But as far as a platform and a recognition, and he's generally really solid with his analysis, and he's very level-headed. I, I like him a lot personally, but there, there's nobody that has more name recognition than him, and and nobody with a bigger platform. I mean, he's on game day every single week. He's on one of the one or two or three biggest games every single weekend. He will call a college football playoff semifinal, the Rose Bowl, and the national championship game. And there may be another game that's mixed in there as well. I think he's doing maybe the Las Vegas Bowl as well. He's out there more than anybody else, and he is at the top of the food chain at ESPN as far as college football goes. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I guess it's more of a personal opinion, but I don't think anyone's more respective. He's about as balanced as it gets. Yeah. Uh, do you agree that politics got involved in the 2018 selection? No. Politics I, may not be the right word. Well, now we're talking about college athletics politics. We're not talking about... Right, exactly. I, I don't think it's politics, though. I think... Some of the committee's inconsistencies and in what they valued the last couple of years set this up. And so you had a situation where, like, how much do you balance the eye test versus on-field results mattering? So I think it was just one of those situations where they are just kind of like, we're okay with these four teams. Like, yes, Georgia probably, you know, if you have two eyeballs, you probably know they're one of the four best teams. But at a certain point, results have to matter. And so I think it was more them trying to balance that and some of the inconsistencies of years past that kind of got him. I don't think it was politics. I mean, I don't. Does anyone really have a real problem with the four teams that are in? I mean, you get why they're yeah, in. I don't know that anybody has a problem with the four that are in, per se. I think there are people that have a problem with Georgia being left out. Now, I, I don't. Is that a different way of saying the same thing? Put my brain in a pretzel here. Well, I yes. mean, can, can, can you can you not ha really have a problem with the four teams that got in, and yet also say it's not right that Georgia's not in because I believe with one hundred percent certainty that Georgia is one of the best four teams in the country. I saw it with my own eyes. Yeah, I get that, but it's like, is that really politics though? Like, I, I don't, I don't understand what he's well, saying, and, and I don't know exactly what he means. But I mean, who are the people in the room? Athletic directors and administrators and former coaches from very diverse geographical and conference backgrounds. 
How do you make this more jury like? Like, could you? Is there a way to go get more people no. with no interest that still have? Yeah, I guess the the only way is to to put predetermined qualifiers. But in this case, I think, and I'm not in Kirk's head. I think what he's talking about is simply. Georgia lost two games. Oklahoma lost one. In that room, they could not put two lost Georgia ahead of one lost Oklahoma because Georgia's in the SEC, and that would put two SEC teams in the backlash from that. From the Don't political side the- of the sport, would be too much for them to deal with. Yeah, I was going to say, don't you believe that the backlash for putting a second SEC team in again this year that had two losses while leaving out two one-loss conference champions would have created a massive political backlash? And that's what he's talking about. So so that's what he's talking about. For the first time, he says, politics get involved. Maybe not politicking or lobbying in the room, but because of being afraid of the consequences, not willing to make that decision. Let's uh, let's take that a step farther when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. With you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross and Brian Scott Rippey and Michael Borky. So we're talking about uh, Kirk Herbstreet, his quote, what he said yesterday on the Feinbaum Show. He says, you know what I'm loyal to? College football. I want to see the four best teams get their chance because that's what's right and that's what's fair. Politics, for the first time in five years, got the best of the committee. We're kind of talking about what he might have meant with regard to the politics and maybe landed on the idea that there would have been backlash that could have been pretty significant if um, you had gotten uh, Georgia in as the fourth team and a one-loss Big 12 or Big 10 champ had been left out. What about the other piece of it? We all knew Notre Dame was going to be in the top four. And yet, would Notre Dame be favored against any of these other three teams? No. It's Alabama? I don't think you could take it all the way to five or six. I don't think they'd be favored against Ohio State or Georgia. I agree. Yeah. And and so could that be the politics? I had a buddy that texted me a little while ago and said, nobody does politics better than Notre Dame. Is it politics, though, or is it just the results mattering? Like, they won all their games, they play a tough schedule, and they play, they're not in a conference, but you get what I mean. The one fewer game is what gets me. And and they kind of are in a conference. They have to play six ACC games now. Five or six? I think it's six. Three at home and three on the road. So they basically Um, are in a conference, but they get to avoid the conference championship. That's what bothers me the most, even though this year is not a very good example because you had Pittsburgh and Northwestern in the conference championship games that led to direct implications of the playoff. But still... The fact that they don't have to play that extra game against a division winner in a power conference rubs me the wrong way. I don't like the optics of that more than Oklahoma getting in ahead of Georgia. Yeah, I mean, what if Notre Dame had to play Clemson in the ACC championship game? And they'd have been left out for Ohio State if that was the case. 
or somebody else, anybody else. They would have lost, and it would have been a really bad look. And I don't care if they they look at the season as a whole. There, It's human nature to have a bigger impact and thought of a game you just watched versus one you watched three months ago. That's just reality. Losing now would be worse. This all could have been solved if Georgia hadn't lost at LSU, though. Right. By 20. I, they didn't lose at LSU. They got smoked at LSU. And that that is a, that's an extremely point uh, important part of the argument. Um, Things would have been much easier if Alabama just smoked Georgia. Like I feel like that was the worst thing that could have happened to the committee, even beyond Georgia beating Alabama. If like, Georgia had beaten Alabama, would the committee have left Alabama out? I don't think so. Who would they have left out? Oklahoma. Yes. Yeah. Because then you're talking two one-loss teams. Who do you think is better? Like, wasn't this the worst possible result for them? Georgia to lose in a very close game where you don't know which is the, actually the better team? Oh. But, oh, wait, wait. What that means is you look at them and you go, that might be the two best teams in college football. Yeah. And certainly two of the best three teams in college football. Hang on, where's, where's that mission statement for what we're supposed to be doing? Okay, this says, it said, what are we supposed to do? It's college football playoff. We're supposed to, to select the four best teams in college football to determine a national champion. I now, to, to Rippy, to your point, you've said it over and over, and it's a good point. So do results matter? Well, I think that's what they were battling. And I don't know if this is necessarily their line of thinking, but would y'all have a problem with if their line of thinking that that was a de facto play-in game? Is that an issue for but, but But it's, it can't be a de facto play-in game if it's only a de facto play-in game for one team. You just told me that Alabama, if they had lost, they would have gotten in. So it's not a play-in game. It's only a playing game for Georgia. That's I think just they're my in a lose lose situation. In, they they couldn't have won here. That that's the biggest problem with all of this. I think is they can't win because if they put Georgia in, you left out two one loss Power Five conference champions ahead of a two loss non conference champion in Georgia, and then it, it, to them or, or to the outsiders, it would be entirely subjective. Even though. We can watch the games and tell you that Georgia is a better football team than Oklahoma because they actually put a defense on the field. But they can't win here. If they'd have put Georgia in, they would have lost with Ohio State and Oklahoma. They put Oklahoma in, they lose in what is the most rational thought. But either way, their hands are tied. They, they were wrong no matter, no matter who they selected. I know the Pac-12 doesn't really factor into it in Hatton for a couple of years, but when they came up with this thing, the idea of having four playoff teams and five power conferences, some pretty wild math there. Yeah, there's no question. Now, okay, so let's let's do this one other way. So the, the the idea that it's about the four best teams, let's say the committee goes with that, and they say, we believe Georgia is one of the four best teams. And that means the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and the Big 10 are left out of the playoff. Okay? Yeah, because it's, it's literally ACC, ACC independent, I guess. That's exactly what it is. Two from the SEC, one from the ACC, and Notre Dame is an independent. Three of your five Power 5 conferences have teams not in the playoff. Is that enough to... Take this current contract, which is in year five of a 12-year deal, and go to your television partners and say, okay, it's time to change. 
Well, who's resisting that? Because it's more money. Yeah, that's a great question. It's the presidents and the conference commissioners that are resisting it. And to your point... The presidents and the conference commissioners, sorry for interrupting, it's like they've got earmuffs on. What's the Adam Sandler movie where you go, earmuffs, earmuffs, we can't hear you. Yeah, that's what the presidents and the conference commissioners are saying to all the college football fans out there who are saying, give us more football. Give us an eight-team playoff. Earmuffs, earmuffs, we can't hear you. La, 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 la. But that's what they're doing. Yeah, it's a good point. I was just going to say to your original question... It was Herb Street trying to say it's bad optics, like it's the optics of leaving out three Power Five conferences. Like I don't think it's necessarily politics. It's probably just the optics of putting Georgia in and leaving out three yep. of the five conferences. It's probably what he's trying to get at. I don't really know where politics came from, but it seems more like of an optical issue. Gary and Meridian makes a great point. Is Notre Dame's schedule actually hard? Is it actually a difficult schedule? They beat Michigan by a touchdown. Michigan gave up a 60 spot to Ohio State, then struggled with Ball State in Week 2, struggled with Vanderbilt in Week 3, went to Wake Forest as a 6-6 six and six team, Stanford ended the season unranked, Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion, Pittsburgh, you saw what Clemson did to them in the ACC Championship, Navy is the worst Navy team in a decade, Northwestern lost five games, one of the worst Florida State teams in a decade, Syracuse, yes, they're ranked, but athletically they can't match up, and one of the worst Southern Cal teams in close to a decade. That's their schedule. I have a hard time faulting them for that, though, because traditionally it's not their Florida fault. State's good. I mean, that, that's good, a, that schedule looks real good, good in July. Yeah, exactly. Like, but it's, it's not like, man, now. that's brutal. So we, but we can't give them credit for playing a tough schedule when the schedule, in fact, wasn't tough. Okay, I'll go along with you can't give them credit for the schedule being that tough, but I can't go along with you going through the schedule and then when you get to Syracuse, who's number 12 in the country, who they beat 36-3, to you're going, yeah, Syracuse is good, but they're not that good. It's like, if we've got to downgrade the schedule, fair enough. But you got to give them credit for number 14 Michigan, number 7 Stanford, number 24 Virginia Tech, and number 12 Syracuse. And right outside of Texas and West Virginia, Oklahoma's schedule is not exactly daunting. But Syracuse no. did lose three games. One of them to Pittsburgh, by the way. I mean, Oklahoma went FAU, UCLA, Iowa State, Army, Baylor, Texas, TCU, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Kansas – and then obviously West Virginia at the end and Texas again. Like, and they gave up a billion points in almost all of those games. Oklahoma's completely, they are entirely flawed. The, the, the answer to take this full circle is the committee did get it wrong. They did. Georgia's a better team than Oklahoma. Objectively, subjectively, however you want to look at it, they are a better football team. Oklahoma, to your point, didn't play a tough schedule, and the teams that they did play racked a bunch of yards on that terrible defense. Kansas scored 40 on them. That's that's a lot. Keith, you bring up a really good point. You say, since the decisions have been made and he's retiring from the selection committee, how about having Jeff Bauer on to explain the decision? I don't know if Jeff... Well, one, I, I, we 100% will reach out and try and have that happen. I don't know if Jeff would be willing or interested in talking about this year's specific decisions but I would be really, really interested to sit down with him and talk about the dynamics in the room and the process and what it's like when people have to recuse themselves and if like there's a shadow hanging 
the, the, like there's a shadow at the doorway when Gene Smith and Joe Castiglione are standing just outside the door. They can't be part of the discussions. That doesn't mean they're not there. Love to talk to, with Jeff Bauer uh, about some of those dynamics, and maybe he will talk to us about the uh, about the decisions this year. That'd be a lot of fun. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.